This episode of the Fit Cooking Nutrition Podcast is brought to you by Inside Tracker. To get 20% off of any of your Inside Tracker purchases, visit the link in the show notes, which is insidetracker.com slash fitcookie. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the show. My name is Holly Samuel, and I am a registered dietitian, personal trainer, master of health education in eating disorders, and I'm your podcast host today. But today, I am also going to be joined by fellow sports dietitian, Stevie Lynn Smith, who is a board-certified sports dietitian and fantastic all-around human being. Stevie has done 10 Ironmans and countless other accomplishments as well in the sport world, and she is going to help me dive into the topic today of triathlon nutrition. Um, A lot of you probably run if you're listening to this, but I know quite a few people are interested in or maybe also do triathlons. And while the sports nutrition for running and triathlon do overlap quite a bit, there are going to be some differences and little tips and tricks and nuances that you just don't know until you do them. So I figured, let me bring on a triathlon veteran to the show. And without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Stevie. Hey, Stevie, and welcome to the Fit Cookie Nutrition Podcast. I am pumped to have you on the show today as a fellow registered dietitian, crazy endurance person, and friend. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, I'm stoked to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, and shout out to Inside Tracker for introducing us basically like over a year ago. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> who is sponsoring this episode. So thanks for that. Um, but yeah, tell everyone, you know, who you are, what you do, and where you're from. Yeah. So um, of course, Stevie, Stevie Lynn Smith. Um, use Stevie and Stevie Lynn interchangeably. Um, fun fact, a lot of people have been thinking that Lynn is my last name recently. So I'm trying to provide more clarity about that. <laughs> I totally thought it was for a really long yeah. time. Yeah. yeah you're in my you're me. in my phone as Stevie Lynn. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you're born and you have two boys' names, right? Because Lynn is spelled L-Y-N, the male spelling. Sometimes I give my full name to try and make it appear as a female. But anyways, that's a big tangent. Um, but as you mentioned, I'm a registered dietitian. I am board certified in sports nutrition. I, um, have been a practicing dietitian for 10 years now, which kind of makes me feel old. Uh, I have my (laughs) own virtual practice called Stevie Lynn nutrition, kept it real simple with the name there. And, um, I've been in business you know, running that full, full on for a little over a year now. Um, but as you mentioned, we met through inside tracker. I'm also a consultant and dietitian on the team for inside tracker, which I absolutely love, love all the biomarkers. Um, and I create a lot of content, write a lot of articles for them, um, do different speaking engagements, et cetera. Um, and I also have a few other hats I wear as a sports dietitian. Uh, but I, I'm also a triathlete, um, which is we're here to talk a little bit about triathlon today. Uh, I've done 10 full Ironmans. Um, I call it in my uh, uh, previous part chapter of my life. I don't (laughs) race them anymore. I have no interest in riding my bike for five to seven hours every Saturday anymore. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I did 10 full Ironmans between 2012 and 2019. But I I love running. Um, So 
yeah, I've done everything like 15 marathons, a 50 mile ultra marathon. Um, I've done a four and a half mile open water swim. I'm training for a 10 K swim, done some Olympics trail racing. You know, I just try to dabble in all the endurance adventures, but, um, my fun fact as an athlete is I hated running when I played lacrosse, I was a goalie and I still have never run a 5k and I've never done a sprint triathlon because I have no interest in redlining. <laughs> I appreciate that. And, um, I was going to say, I I'm glad you mentioned it because I was going to say, well, you don't ride your bike for five hours, you know, on the weekends, tell them what you're training for. You're training to swim for 6.2 miles which is bananas. Um, so it's not like you don't do long stuff anymore. Uh, cause you still do. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I just like, I mean, biking is great. I mean, like I said, I love running and you know, I know Hallie, you're an awesome runner and you know, every, and, you know, just like with nutrition and fitness, like everybody's so different and the swimming and biking, I picked it up because I got hurt when I first started running, um, and then it escalated quickly. (laughs) Oh, it escalated very quickly. My first try I signed up for was a 70.3, a half iron distance. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do an Ironman next year, (laughs) the year after that, like it really escalated, but I was like, was I 22, 23 when I did my first full Ironman. And I think it just was kind of like, who I ended up running with, like training for a marathon with, they were also triathletes and they're like, oh, let's get this girl under our wing. Right. And teach her all the things. So (laughs) that's amazing. Um, well, and to backtrack to, you forgot one very important piece of your life. Um, and that is your dog chance. So tell everyone about chance, because if they go over to your pages, they're going to see him. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I was like, I finished talking. I was like, oh shoot. I forgot to mention chance. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very proud dog mom. Mm-hmm. I say he's upper management at my business. Um, but yes, chance is my rescue pup. I rescued him when he was like three months old. Well, I was one of the lucky ones who could rescue a puppy. Um, in hindsight, it was my first puppy. <laughs> and I was also training for an Ironman. And like, wow, puppies are a lot of work. Um, <laughs> high energy ones like yours. Oh my God, who's a master? Anyways, I love him. He is half German Shepherd, half Pitbull. And he's the sweetest man. Um, he may or may not bark during this call uh, or podcast recording. Um, so FYI. But, um, you know, like I said, he's like a perk. You get some chance appearances, all the chance content. (laughs) Yeah. I remember, you know, for everyone listening, I met you because I got to do, um, like a consultation with you when I got my first inside tracker test done, when I was working with the company for the first time. And it was awesome. It was super insightful. And just like, you know, we did a video call and this like adorable dog just kind of pops up next to you. And I was like, wait, wait, I don't care about my ferritin levels. You need to tell me about the dog. Um, so hard hitting content is what I, (laughs) is what I provide with chance. (laughs) Yeah. And then I got off the call and my husband was like, how did it go? And I was like, she was amazing and it was great, but the dog. So, um, cause we're both dog lovers as well. So I figured, you know, give you that opportunity to introduce him. Um, so how did you get into like becoming a sports dietitian because you are board certified, which, um, for people who have listened to maybe my, what is the dietitian episode? I talk a little bit about the board certifications on top of all the other stuff that we have to do to get our credentials. So yeah, talk about that. Cause it's not like you just kind of like do that and then it's over. You just have to continue with it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So 
I honestly, like, I feel like I'm a, different than a lot. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like uh, a lot of sports dietitians or dietitians are like, oh, I want to work with athletes. That's why I'm going to be a dietitian. And that was never my thought process when I kind of um, started my journey as a dietitian. I, uh, I always joke um, if people are like Tommy boy fans. So I changed my major <laughs> when I was in undergrad. And so it ended up long story long, taking me six years to get my bachelor's of science in dietetics and nutrition. Um, just cause I transferred from my first school where I went to play lacrosse, um, D3 SUNY Brockport to become a dietitian to SUNY Buffalo state where they had the program I was looking for. And I didn't realize it was going to start me all over again because I didn't have the chemistry sequences, which I'm sure if you've listened to that episode, you realize like basically a minor in chemistry to be a dietitian, which if anyone had told me that from the get-go, I probably would have not <laughs> switched my major. Chemistry <laughs> changed, changed same, me. <laughs> right? Same with the math thing. I'm, math, is, math, math is not my strong suit, but anyways. Um, so yeah, so I basically took a public health minor at SUNY Brockport and there was a nutrition 101 class. And I was like, oh, dang, I really like this. Like, this is super interesting to me. It clicks. I was like, I want to do this. So um, I transferred uh, the program I did at SUNY Buffalo State. I know the name has changed and I can't remember what they call it now, but it was um, a coordinated program. So I was able to do my um, clinical or internship hours. I did it alongside of my coursework, which was quite a journey. Um, I was also training for my first Ironman. <laughs> With a puppy. Stop. Wait, wait, no, no, no. The chance was... Um, was many years later, but oh, okay. that was so yeah, my Ironman. senior year was 2012 and, uh, I was training for a full Ironman <laughs> and finishing up my clinicals and clap coursework, um, which was, <laughs> it, it speaks to me as an individual, I guess. Um, anyways, so yeah, I loved clinical. My internship was very clinical focused and that was my first couple jobs were in clinical. My first six years of my career were in clinical. And then obviously I do all this fitness and feats of strength on the side that I got a couple, um, just like contract side jobs in the endurance space, started working with more athletes part-time. And then when I was kind of burnt out on clinical, I was living in Washington DC at the time and, uh, decided that I wanted to, you know, quit my job, went back and got my master's degree because that wasn't the track I took to get my RD. So I got my master's in applied nutrition from Northeastern. Um, at this point, not required for me, but I know uh, starting in 2024, master's degrees are going to be required for all dietitians. Um, so I did that. And then once I got enough hours and got one of the dietitians from Inside Tracker to sign off, because you have to have, oh man, do I remember off the top of my head? Is it 2,000 or 1,500 practice hours? I think it's 2000 for sports. It's more. <laughs> yeah. 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 I can't remember, but it was like enough years into, I think it was what, 20, 2019, 20, 2020, she signed off because I was like, okay, working part-time I've now like hit the hours I've needed. Um, so yes. So you have to have someone to sign off on your hours. You can also get, um, some hours by doing graduate coursework, but I think it was only like 300 hours. I was like, my whole degree was only 300 hours worth towards this. <laughs> Yeah. Um, other public, like if you're public uh, working in research and get a publication, so they don't make it easy for you to get those hours, um, of practice time, which I understand, but it also really makes 
it hard for people who are entry level to try and get that credential. But, you know, that hands on experience and working with individuals is so important um, in like honing, sharpening, becoming a really great dietitian. So had to do that. And then I studied a lot. Um, and then you have to take another board exam, which mine was canceled three times during COVID. <laughs> so I had to like study, stop, reschedule, start studying again. Right. Cause it's not something you should study for more than like six to eight weeks for. <laughs> yeah. Cause then you're just like, you start unlearning information. <laughs> Basically. So I was like, this needs to be over. <laughs> Oh I showed God. up one day and no one told me it was canceled and I was there and I was like, this is the worst. Um, oh, that's terrible. Right. I mean, champagne problems, but I eventually passed that board exam, um, in, I think it was July, 2020. And now I will have to research every five years, um, and take that exam again, which is great. Cause you know, as you know, and I'm sure your listeners, if they're avid listeners, you know, sports nutrition is always changing more research, which is great. Let's make us keep learning and staying on top of things. So yeah, that was a long story of how I became a sports dietitian, but here we are. <laughs> here we are. Well, and you've gotten to work with some pretty cool people. Some, some listeners may have heard of like Shalane Flanagan, for instance. Um, so that's, that's just really cool that you've gotten those opportunities and been able to help so many people with your expertise. Um, mm-hmm. so, I mean, talking today about, you know, triathlon nutrition, which I, have wanted to do this episode for a long time. And I can't think of anyone else like to put on the episode besides for you, who's like the (laughs) triathlon queen, um, you know, and, and also a really talented and great sports dietitian. So, um, I think it'll be super interesting because, um, I talk a lot about running and running nutrition on the show and triathlon and endurance sports in general, like they all kind of like, you know, we, we talk about the same nutrition principles, but I think logistically, um, you know, for triathlon where we're changing disciplines in the middle and you can't exactly take a gel while you're swimming, um, you know, kind of thing. I think that's where people tend to run into, but what, how does this apply, you know, to triathlon? So like in what ways, just to kind of get us started, would you say that sports nutrition for triathlon, you know, is the same as sports nutrition for running? And then we can talk about how it's different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say basically to put it simply, um, you know, we're always eating, but fueling before our workouts, fueling during our workouts and fueling post-workout, you know, kind of, um, those practices are always going to be the same. Uh, obviously, you know, it's just like, if you're doing a one hour run versus a three hour run, fueling before, during, and after will look a little bit differently, but that's just the same for all three sports. Um, you get a little bit more nuance in the in-workout fuel, um, you know, and on race day, right before an Ironman, typically I push, have athletes push breakfast further out than I do for a marathon or a half marathon, a 10 K, whatever the race distance is, because we should be eating a bit more before we're going to go exercise for 10, 12, 11, 17 hours. Um, so that timing will be a little bit different. Um, but the in, in the in training fueling, um, the in workout fueling, um, in race fueling, there we go. There's the words, words are hard today, guys. I don't thrive on Friday mornings here. Um, that will look different. That does not translate over from, um, a marathon to particularly an Ironman, the shorter the distance gets, 
you know, the more closely tied it is. Yeah, I totally get that. And I think um, like just for context of people, I think a lot of folks listening will have heard of the terms Ironman before, but what are the two main Ironman distances and how long, like range wise, does it take people to complete those from an elite level to like a recreational level? Yeah, that's a great point. Thank you. Um, I'm so used. I just lived and breathed it for so long. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. So for a full Ironman distance triathlon, that's your 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and then marathon 26.2 mile run. Um, Your professionals, depending on the course, flat, hilly, the conditions, I mean, some are going (laughs) eight hour range. Um, And then for everybody, I mean, everybody has 17 hours to complete the race. And there are people who will be out there that whole time or close to the whole time, just trying to make that cutoff. In the full Ironman though, you will have a cutoff time for the swim, a certain cutoff time on the bike. And that's just, you know, math basically, because if you're not at like this point by X hour, you're not going to complete this in the 17 hours. Um, Also safety thing, right? With road closers, et cetera. Um, For the 70.3 or half iron distance, it's a 1.2 mile swim, 56 mile bike and half marathon or 13.1 mile run. Um, There's people who do that like in the three high threes, um, (laughs) mid threes. Um, But then I can't honestly remember off the top of my head um, a specific course cutoff because it's not quite as long, but you'll have people finish in the seven, eight hour range. It might cut off um, around eight or nine hours. I'm blanking. It's been a while since I've done a half my Ironman, if I'm, if I'm being honest there. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's helpful. Cause I think, you know, the point I want to drive across is for, especially Ironman, like even the elites, we're talking like a full eight hour work day, like out there. Um, so, you know, nutrition would have to be looked a little different because you're not going to take like 32 gels, you know, during the course of an Ironman. And it's probably not going to be your best option anyway. So like, in what ways is it different? Like, what are the nuances of like grams of carbohydrate per hour? Um, and is there any recommendation around like complexity in your fuel source for these really long distances, especially? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, I usually look at an Ironman as its own thing. <laughs> I don't even really, some of the stuff I don't even translate over to the 70.3, unless someone's like, do we know they're going to be out there for a while, then we might bring some of those same concepts over. And, you know, when it comes to Ironman, I always, you know, breakfast three and a half hours before that is the one thing I get the most pushback on. Cause they're like, well, that's three 15 in the morning. And I said, yup, I've done it too. I know it's awful. I hate it. You signed up <laughs> but, for this. <laughs> right. I know. Like we all make choices. That's what I tell myself sometimes. <laughs> for fun, (laughs) right? For fun, type two fun. Um, so yeah, usually breakfast three and a half hours before a full Ironman for the half. I'm usually having people do it three hours before. Um, and that's just because we're having a pretty large breakfast. Um, you know, if I'm lucky, I'll get people to have three grams per kg body weight. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, that's kind of the goal I aim for. Everybody's a little bit different. Um, you know, after breakfast, I usually have always sipping sports drink. I mean, that's similar to like a marathon fueling, like any race morning, no matter the distance, I'm like, bring a bottle of sports drink and sip it, you know, like, 
You don't have to chug the whole thing. Though usually during the Ironman, like the 315 breakfast, I usually have my athletes drink a full bottle of sports drink. Um, you know, that's to allow time for digestion, you know, go to the bathroom, get the fuel in so you can get it down and like not feel like you're going to be anxious. You're probably not going to sleep. I mean, I don't think it was till like my fourth or fifth Ironman that I was actually able to go back to bed after I ate breakfast. (laughs) I would just pass out and go back to sleep. It's like transition opens at around 5 a.m. depending on the race. Then that's when you can go get in and like put your fuel on your bike, et cetera. Um, And then, you know, the carb per hour, of course, depends on the athlete, but like I rarely put people at that minimum of 60 grams of carb per hour. I usually want every, everybody, even my smaller females at 70 plus, um, some of my larger guys were pushing 110. Um, the big, big thing, of course, same with running. We are practicing every single workout. We're getting fuel in. No, I mean, maybe if it's a 20 minute recovery run and your recovery runs are run at like 120 heart rate and that's it, you don't need to bring a gel, but we are practicing training. You know, I make people run through that, uh, pre-race breakfast at least three times on big training days. And that means getting up and eating three and a half hours, you know, three, three and a half hours before, um, and people push back, but the people who do it, (laughs) are successful and the people are going to like, Oh yeah. Like I get it. <laughs> I understand I, why I get um, it now. Yeah. I get it now. Um, so those are some of the nuances we go, we push a lot more carb. I mean, I was usually sitting 75, 85 grams per hour when I was racing Ironman. Most of my long workouts are still right around there. Cause my body's just used to it. And just for reference, I'm a pretty small human. I'm like five, four. I don't weigh myself anymore, but I'm usually between 125, 130 pounds. Um, so not large. Um, and taking in the carbs. We're getting the carbs. Carbs are your friend. So yeah. that's a big thing. And then as you kind of alluded to, we're using different carb sources. Um, when I'm working one-on-one coaching with an athlete, we're trialing different things. Seeing like, all right, what's our sweet spot combo? Um, we want to get different uh, multiple transportable carbohydrates, different those different sources. So we're challenging slightly different metabolic pathways. You know, it's kind of like a traffic jam, right? If we're only pushing one carb source, you're going to tap out at 60 grams per hour and you're not going to feel good. So it's about finding the different products. I also like to take into account textures, flavors, just like you said, no one wants to eat 35 gels. I don't want to eat 35 gels. Um, (laughs) Totally. But like some people are like, well, I only use cliff blocks. I'm like, well, you can't literally only eat cliff blocks for 12 hours. You have to take one, one every five minutes. (laughs) Right. So it's just like, and then it's coming into like the logistics of, all right, are you practicing drinking on the bike? You can't say, well, I can't get the bottles out of my cages. You need to go ride around in a parking lot and practice taking your bottles out of your cages when you're moving, or you're not going to be able to do an Ironman. And I know I probably sound a little mean, but like, it's, it's something that I feel like you have to take seriously because even if you're not a professional or trying to go to Kona, which is the world championship, 
it is a big ask of your body and it's a big feat. And like, you should be a little afraid, you know, like if there's not that fear there, then you're not going to be prepared. And honestly, all of those practices, like even practicing clipping in and out, like reaching back in your Jersey pocket to get your fuel, like practicing where you're going to keep each feeding that you have within your pockets, your bike, whatever, then you're setting yourself up to have an unsafe situation. And it's my number one job to keep my athletes healthy and safe. And even if it seems like it's something dumb, like practicing where your fuel is going to be, like there is always a method to my madness. <laughs> totally. Cause you're like, because I've done that. And then this happened and I fell off my bike and then I got a concussion and I don't want that to happen to you. Or, you know, then I got, you know, super dehydrated and my heart was palpitating and I'm in the middle of nowhere on my bike and the medics can come, but it's going to take a minute. So yeah, it's, you know, you are putting yourself in a precarious situation, um, in any sporting event, if you don't fuel and hydrate properly, but God, especially with Ironman, um, yeah. like that is absolutely no joke. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, it would be probably a blanket statement, but I'm going to say it like, if you are signed up for an Ironman and you don't know what you're doing, like you should really work with a sports dietitian, um, because it's not intuitive at all. There's no way you're going to know what you're doing, you know, <laughs> like, and, yeah. um, you could probably least figure it out, but it might be dangerous. <laughs> least intuitive thing ever. Right. Um, and just like you said, it, even if you're running, going fast, you're out there so much longer, you're, you're going to lose more electrolytes. You're going to sweat more. Your, your body needs are just also further compared you know, made complex by how long you're going to be exercising for. And then when you throw in conditions and you like reminded me of a great point with the bike is that I always hated the bike because there's so much you cannot control, right? Mm -hmm. You, it's also like, okay, you need to be comfortable doing these things and eating and drinking because there are going to be a lot of people out there. And a lot of those people, unfortunately, don't care about you. You know, there'll be people who, ride your wheel and draft on you, which can be incredibly dangerous, dangerous. They can clip your wheel. There's going to be potholes in the road. It could, I've done too many Ironmans in the pouring rain, which, you know, talent makes the bike very challenging and sometimes very dangerous. There's going to be flat tires. There's going to be, you know, people practicing grabbing bottles out of the aid station. If you don't plan to pull over and stop, like there's just so many things that can go wrong that you can't control on the bike that it's like, pack a couple extra gels. Cause I've sat on the side of the road with a flat tire that was totally busted that I couldn't even fix with my flat kit. So there's always, there's so many more variables than a marathon. And my joke always was just like, get me off the bike <laughs> because I can at least walk a marathon. <laughs> yeah. I know at least what I'm up for and I can control my own two legs. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of, a lot of nuances. I know that was a little less about the technical fueling, but, um, you know, the, the multiple transportable carbohydrates, my big things when I'm looking at any fueling plan are carbs, fluid, and sodium. And then, you know, for the longer distance, looking at the carb sources, I usually try to incorporate like a small amount of protein um, on those Ironman distance races, just because they are so long. We want a little bit of protein, um, but it's definitely not like jerky. <laughs> It's usually, I usually use some sort of bar, solid bar in the first half of the bike for, for people or people who don't do bars. We might add like some BCAAs to like one bottle, but it's nothing crazy or over the top with that. Yeah. And I was going to say like, just, I, 
I know there's a lot of nutrition. I mean, gosh, there's a lot of nutrition misinformation full yeah. stop, but, um, you know, with Ironman, I think the arguments and the, you know, some research, but not a lot of research that I see is, you know, on the being fat adapted for ultra endurance events. And, you know, gosh, when I hear that, I'm like, okay, I understand where that concept comes from, but you know, we can't really practice not eating in order to be fat adapted while training six, seven, eight hours a day, some days. Um, so like, can you just draw some light on where that comes from and your thoughts? (laughs) Yeah. Um, so my thoughts on it is a hard, no, obviously, um, carbs forever. Um, you know, there is some research to alluding it to helping performance or being a strategy part of someone's fueling strategy but there's a lot more research (laughs) that shows that it's it's not as beneficial for performance but also recovery after a race or after a workout you know we see better results in fed athletes fed with carbohydrates um during racing especially that long course racing, um, you know, I feel like, and I'm sure you can relate. I'm like constantly like a broken record reminder, your carbohydrates during your workouts are also going to help your post-race or post-workout recovery. And it's like one of those things that people don't really believe it until they're like, wait a minute, they actually do it. Um, so I am team not fat adapted forever. There are a lot of, I feel like it's always guys, male age group triathletes. Hey guys. <laughs> yeah, <it> is, <laughs> who who want to do this one? And they're like, yeah, but I get by just fine. Like I can do my workouts, but it's like, how much better would you be if mm-hmm. you <laughs> actually use carbohydrates? So, and, and they'll try to show me those studies, but then all we can do is come back with the research saying that, yeah, but like there's more performance benefits <laughs> when and less eat. risk. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Less risk. And, you know, honest, uh, I know we have the same thoughts, but it's definitely a hard stop for females too. like hard stop. Um, any sort of, you know, fasting, you know, under fueling being a form of stress, um, anything that we can do to not totally jack up <laughs> a female's hormones, um, and under fueling will be one of them. And, it, you know, the thing too, just kind of like zooming out big picture is that, it's a lot of stress on the body to train for an Ironman, even if you love it, like you are constantly breaking your body down and you're asking so much of it. Why would you throw another stress of under fueling and starving your workouts to add to that stress bucket? Um, you know, it, it's really, it's really counterintuitive to me. <laughs> Yeah. And I want to remind everyone, we can just do our inside tracker ad right now, um, that this is someone, you know, who looks at hundreds, maybe thousands of labs. Um, so like, what are some common things when people are testing their blood work that you see when their body is like kind of tipping on the stress scale? Yeah, obviously number one is cortisol. Their cortisol is usually like through the roof in the reds, you know, 20 plus 21, 22. Um, And then other things that I'll see are um, biomarkers related to muscle breakdown, muscle damage. They will also tend to be um, at least elevated, if not high. Those include creatine kinase, an enzyme that's found in the skeletal muscle that's, you know, released when there's muscle breakdown um, and liver enzymes, ALT and AST. I will usually see those all sky high. Um, 
And then depending on the individual, I'll pro- I d- usually with a person like this, we'll see some of the um, um, hormone related markers uh, elevated or decreased depending. Um, males, I'll usually see low testosterone, low free T, which indicates, you know, overtraining, under recovery. Um, SHBG, um, sex hormone carrier in both males and females will be high with um, under fueling. And then in our females, DHEAS, um, which is sex hormone precursor, basically what comes before estrogen, um, produces estrogen. So, you know, it won't be impacted by your menstrual cycle. Um, Tend to see that low um, with the underfeeling high, you know, high levels of stress. And, you know, all of those things, it's about figuring out, okay, what's causing these to, you know, be out of kind of those optimized zones, but those are usually, usually the big ones that I see. And, uh, a lot of people don't like it. And I'm like, yeah, you should probably take some time off of exercise. And they're like, but I, I, I remember I was speaking to somebody she's like, well, I can't, I'm training for an Ironman. And I was like, well, you know, this is why you don't feel good. I mean, most people, when they kind of come up with numbers like that, they don't feel well, you know, they're not recovering. Their training is flat. They might be injured. You know, those are also things that are like, red flag for injury too. Um, and you, you can't, I know some people think otherwise you can't outrun a high cortisol. You just can't. Well, running's my stress reliever. Well, I, <laughs> let's find your, something different. <laughs> your body would say otherwise. <laughs> right. Exactly. And for people, I mean, you know, they follow you and you do a great job of, of giving a lot of great information out, but you know, cortisol is catabolic, meaning it's going to break down your muscle. And that is no matter if you're training for your first 5k or your first Ironman, no matter what, as an, even as an active individual, not training for a race, like that's like the last thing anybody ever wants, right? <laughs> Never the goal. Yeah. If your goal is to be quote unquote, that word we love toned, um, you know, <laughs> then we need our cortisol to be optimized, um, and not right. super stressed out. Um, so thank you. Thank you for running that inside tracker ad. You can find all of these on the ultimate plan, which is 20% off using the link in the show notes. Um, so in terms of like back to kind of the logistics of triathlon, because I think, you know, if people have been sold on, okay, got it. Need to fuel, need to figure this out. Um, like what are some of the biggest challenges you see with like how to do this and how would you recommend people navigate things like transitions, you know, eating, you know, right before the whole thing starts, like before the swim, like how, what are some like of your biggest tips? Cause I know there's probably a lot of them, but what are the biggest tips that you would give people for these logistic logistical challenges? Yeah, this is, this is great. I feel like, you know, nobody talks about this. I mean, I do in my coaching sessions, but, um, as I tell my mom, she's like, wow, you had a great idea. I was like, 75% of my job is problem solving for people. So, um, (laughs) um, an Ironman is a logistical nightmare. I will say that. Um, so there are lots of things, um, you know, for a full Ironman, if you haven't done it, you have to check your gear the day before you check your bike and your trans T1 bag and your T2 bag. So basically you gotta have your ducks in a row early. Have your, you gotta like, you gotta be prepared. Um, so that's a big thing. So with kind of going through that, honestly, what I used to do is I used to, as I was packing my bags, (laughs) in my Airbnb or hotel room, I would be like, all right, it's the morning. This is what I'm doing. Like it's race morning. Okay. I'm getting ready for the swim. Wetsuit cap goggles done. And I like put it to the side 
And then I'm like, all right, crush the swim, right? Because positive thoughts, positive talk. I'm like, I'm running. I crushed it. I feel awesome. All right, T1, you know, we have, you have changing tents, right? So you pick out your outfit. I usually just raced in my tri shorts and sports bra and like threw my jersey on over. Everybody's different, but you know, I, I would keep my jersey in the bag and I would pack all my nutrition in the jersey. So I was, as I was packing my bags, I'd be make sure like, this is my plan. I have what I need and then go to my bike and be like, okay, everything else I need is already in my bento box on my bike and I'm going to zip it up. So for bike nutrition, I mentioned your Jersey, a lot of great pockets out there, guys, use the pockets, um, practice it in training to make sure everything stays in the pockets, right? Most companies have got the design down when I started triathlon. Oh my God, there are some pictures. I look at the tri outfits, like my tri top and shorts. And I was like, oh my gosh, it looks like nineties style. Like <laughs> the sunglasses I wore. Um, it was very interesting back in the day. Um, but making sure everything fits, putting everything on your bike the day before, um, at least your, you know, solid nutrition, you can put bike bottles on in the morning. And then I would just roll through shoes, you know, sunglasses, right. Eye protection is so important helmet. And just as you're like, all right, I'm putting my helmet on, got my glasses, got to crush it. And then I would do the same thing for my run bag. Right. And my thing was, I would always bring so much extra fuel because I was so afraid of dropping things. And, you know, a big thing with the Ironman full distance, half Ironman, there's some flexibility is that either my athletes are using what's on course, Gatorade endurance. You did an awesome thing the other day on your stories about Gatorade endurance. Absolutely loved it. Um, or, they're willing to stop halfway. And I feel so bad. I haven't looked this up yet, but it, they used to call it special needs. And that is not politically correct. I never liked it, but they changed the name of it. And I don't know what it is, but there is halfway on the bike and halfway on the run in the Ironman where you can keep a bag with, um, some people put clothes, fresh running shoes. Um, you, but if you want to use something that's not on course, you can put it there, but you have to pull off at 56 and get it restock refuel. But the reason why I usually make most of my athletes use Gatorade endurance that's on course is that, you know, how many bike bottles I've seen fly off <laughs> of cages because of the road, you hit a bump, it flies off. And then people are like, Oh, well, I was having a great bike, but then I lost all my, my one bottle that had all the nutrition in it. And then I just had a horrible day. Like, do you really want that one bottle to make or break your day? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Yeah. It's a big yike. So that's, that's usually with the full Ironman. Um, those are some of the big things. Um, and like for my guys who are doing like 120 grams an hour, they usually stop and just get more of their nutrition. If they're not using the gel that's on course, um, at that halfway point, because they just need to carry so much and their jerseys are only so big, but honestly, in, I tell people in, you know, a 12 hour day, if you stop for one minute, two minutes, that could save your day, or you can be stubborn and not stop and be underfueled and get off the bike and be dehydrated and then walk a six hour marathon. And your time is an hour and a half slower than it should have been. You know what I mean? So it's, it's such a long day that taking, I always took my time in transition to make sure I had everything because also I needed to like mentally prepare, prepare myself to run 26 miles after biking 112, but, um, Get your legs it, under you. <laughs> yes. It's those little things. Um, 
I think those are some 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 good insider <laughs> logistics yeah. tips there. So I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that because I think the logistics are you know where someone like you who has the expertise has done ten of these and has ha- you know has made the mistakes and has watched other people make the mistakes. Um, it just it just comes you know to to such a high degree of importance to like know this information because otherwise you're just not going to know until you figure it out. And hopefully you're not figuring it out the hard way in the med tent. Um, (laughs) so carbohydrates, at least, you know, 70 grams plus an hour, we've got, you know, hydration and sodium Gatorade endurance. This is not sponsored. However, I'm a huge fan myself because it's always there. It's always there for you. And it's a really (laughs) solid product. Um, and then also, you know, on another level of nutrition, I know a lot of people I've talked to who have struggled with this, um, or who, or who have tried to do Ironmans, um, really struggle with the GI distress, like issues, like it could be, you know, diarrhea, it could be vomiting, it could be nausea. Um, and I think this is just like, it could be its own podcast because oh, yeah. I imagine a lot of this can come with the training, being underfueled and having a low appetite for, you know, that part of it. And then also just acutely during the actual race. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would be like your, I guess, biggest takeaway around trying to avoid GI distress in the Ironman specifically the monster, <laughs> the monster. Yeah. Uh, number one, you got to practice fueling, you know, um, you have to practice at different intensities. You have to practice the volume that you want to take in on race day. Um, that's the big, I mean, that's the biggest one. People don't train the gut. That's why everybody has horror stories with Gatorade. You know what I mean? They half, can I swear? Yes. <laughs> they half ass it, right? They use one <laughs> scoop of Gatorade endurance of 24 ounces. And that is not the full amount. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they drink, they under drink, they underfuel their workouts. They do just enough. And then they get on race day and they're like a bottle and a half an hour on the bike. And no wonder they don't tolerate it. Mm -hmm. And and part of it is just physiologically, right? Your body is not prioritizing digestion during exercise. This is why, and this will vary between people too, of course. Some people have iron stomachs. I had a friend, they're all standing in a house. He woke up and he made bacon, eggs, and toast before he did an Ironman. And I was like, oh my gosh, I would die. (laughs) Not go well for me either. (laughs) It would not end well. Um, but like some people can eat like peanut butter and jelly on their bike and be okay. That is not something I usually immediately go to as a fuel because of the fat in the peanut butter. Like I know personally for me, that would set me off. Like that would not be my jam. Um, and other people are fine. So it's about practicing it, finding what works for you. Um, and it's, it's very interesting. Like, um, a Lara bar might be the right thing for somebody, Um, other people are like, no, no way I can't do it. Um, but practicing it, finding it, limiting very minimal fat and fiber. Um, like if somebody's using a bar, I always keep the fat under 10 grams and like minimal fiber, like basically none Um, or less grams, one or less basically. (laughs) Um, and you know, like I said, physiologically, your body's not prioritizing digestion use these sports products. Everybody now, and I know I've kind of had a sidebar conversation with Holly about this. It's like, you have so many awesome options. It's amazing. When I did my first Ironman, there was power bar for perform sports drink, which only came in the lemon line. And it was awful. (laughs) There was maybe cliff gels and then power bar gels and goo. That was it. 
you ate it and you did it. You didn't love it. It's like, you know, when you're eating in an Ironman, like this is what I call a business feeding. This is not for fun. This is purely business. So you can go and crush that race and like, be like, yeah, I did that thing. Like I was awesome. Um, (laughs) so (laughs) you got to do the hard work and training and practice it. And one of the, like one of the strategies I always use, and I know a lot of sports dietitians who work with Ironman athletes do this, is that you should be taking in a lot more calories. And I don't typically use calories when I'm calculating, I stick to carbs. You should be taking a lot more in on the bike to Mm -hmm. set yourself up for a good run. Physiologically, it's easier for your body to uh, break down what you're eating on the bike. That's why I might do like some bars, a little bit of solid on the bike, um, just because you're not, you know, moving the GI tract around like you will on the run. But you know, just dehydration behind on fluids by 2% is going to impact your aerobic performance. If you get off that bike dehydrated by the slightest amount, you are screwed when you get to the run. And that's, you know, like, I did an Ironman and it was like hailing on the bike, like 55 raining. I have the worst luck. Don't do, don't do a race with me. Cause like bad weather, <laughs> Holly can attest, right? I, can I had attest. a vivid wine glass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. That's right. You did the half marathon. I did the half marathon. But when um, I saw you, Hey, the sun came out. So that's good at mile 20, but it did take until mile 20. Until <laughs> mile 20. Right. Well, I was <laughs> well done with my race. Um, but the big mistake is that like people didn't drink. They're like, oh, well, it's cold out. I'm not thirsty, but it was on Ironman in the mountains. And by the time we got to the run, it was 72 degrees and the sun was out. So like, I don't care if it's cold. You should be drinking a minimum, a bottle of sports drink an hour, which some people's sweat rates, that's enough. Other people, I have people go up to two bottles an hour, depending on the person, mm-hmm. um, you know, like nausea, you know, typically with that, we look at hydration, but I also look at sodium. Um, Gatorade endurance is great because it has a lot of sodium in it. Um, I hate Morton gels because they only have 30 milligrams of sodium in it, which I tell people we can still use them, but like you have to get the sodium elsewhere. Um, I have a lot of people take supplemental sodium in addition to the sports fuel products, like even like Huma plus gels. I love because you get 240 milligrams of sodium per gel. Yeah. Holly's got the goods right in front of her. Um, (laughs) So like sometimes it's looking at sodium for some of those like GI issues, but I will say 95% of the time is because we're half-assing in training. Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta practice in your training. Um, because I mean, I, I think X, I mean, gosh, this is true for any endurance event, but especially something like half or full Ironman, like you need to practice your swim. You need to practice your bike. You need to practice your run. You need to practice going between the two and you just need to practice eating while you're doing stuff. Because even if you don't, like, like you said, even if it's a shorter run or a shorter bike and you don't actually, you know, on paper research wise need the fuel, like you should be practicing this skill, um, because it is a skill. And if you don't practice it, you know, it's just not going to come naturally to most people. And then the second thing, yeah, I would say is don't forget about your full hydration. So like your electrolytes, which everyone seems to forget about because they're afraid of Gatorade endurance. Um, (laughs) And, you know, fluids. So big takeaways there. Um, and just like, you know, to kind of talk about the training for triathlon too. I know a lot of people are like, man, like I'm going to lose so much weight training for an Ironman. Like, and then they're so hungry all day long and they're like, but I have to eat all day long. So can you just talk a little bit about that, uh, preconceived notion that I think a lot of people may have that tends to be untrue. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. And, um, you know, just to kind of segue off to uh, something popped in my head when you, your um, last statement there is that, um, oh my God, did it disappear already? <laughs> oh, oh yeah. That's fueling on training, training, right. Even if it's short. And like you said, you don't need it on paper. This is where I challenge my clients to zoom out and take that 30,000 foot view. If you are training, when I trained for an Ironman, I trained 15 to 23 hours a week. Yes, I know. The higher volume training is what I did for seven years while I was working full-time and had other jobs. So like, I understand the struggle. The only thing I don't understand is tiny human children. You people who are parents and do this stuff. I mean, (laughs) wow. Anyways, if you have to take the 30,000 foot view, even if it's ZR recovery, you are constantly dipping into your glycogen stores all the time, even if it's a recovery week. And you know what? You may need to do more beyond fueling these recovery rides, but this is why you fuel your recovery workouts is so you're not, you're, you're trying to stay ahead of things before you hit zero. So um, you're, so you're recovering. <laughs> yeah. So you're recovering carbs forever. I would like everybody to know that I drank a whole glass of orange juice during um, this podcast recording. And all I think about when I pour a glass of orange juice are the dietitians who shame people for drinking juice. And every time I drink it, I was like, mm. <laughs> anyways. Um, Amazing. So with the weight loss aspect, like people who are like, oh, I'm signing up for a marathon. People do this for marathons too, or an yeah. Ironman to lose weight. Like, nah, like that's just a hard no. And I have had people who come to me like, oh yeah, like I'm training for my 70.3. Um, I want to lose some weight. And I'm just like, yeah, okay. Like, you know, I was like, we'll get there. <laughs> but typically like these two, two goals should not be done hand in hand. And like, I was very proud. My one client on a call yesterday, he's like, I know. He's like, you know what? I don't care about my weight anymore. Like I feel good. I feel strong. I'm crushing my workouts. Like my 70.3 next month is going to be awesome. Right. So that's usually where I steer people. I try to gently nudge them along the way and, you know, say, okay, well, let's just start with these basic habits. Cause we need to start with this. And then we'll talk about that later. Like, but honestly, before I sign on anyone, I will never say like, this is not going to be the forefront of our focus. Um, you know, typically when we practice good habits and we're fueling enough, um, that becomes a secondary thing. Um, but I always just tell, you know, people who want to lose weight while training for an Ironman, it goes back to stress. It's a huge stress on your body. And it goes back to underfueling as a form of stress. So I see people who are trying to restrict their calories overall, their energy or certain macronutrients while they're training for an Ironman. And it just adds more stress. And what happens when our body's in stress? It's not going to lose weight. Um, even if cortisol isn't high, right? Like cortisol tends to be high, um, but your body will not want to lose weight if it doesn't feel safe. If it doesn't be like, oh, Stevie's feeding me. Like we're going to eat, like we're getting the macro and micronutrients we need because, you know, everybody gets so focused on like fat adapted and like carbs are amazing. Don't get me wrong. They get so focused on macronutrients that they also forget the variety, the micronutrients that you get from eating a variety of foods, those are also very important in your metabolism along with different other functions, of course. Um, So long story long, I never encourage those things to happen at the first, you know, go of it and people don't like it. They tend to not work with me. Um, But going back to like keeping you safe and healthy, 
that is always my number one goal. You know, if you under fuel into your Ironman and like, maybe you make it to the start line, but like, what if your electrolytes are so unbalanced that you go into cardiac arrest? Cause that is absolutely possible. Like that is not me keeping you safe. What if you are so undernourished that you're out on the marathon and you get a stress fracture in your shin and it's done. Like that is always my number one focus. Um, and I find that my, my clients tend to be much happier <laughs> when we focus on energy, health, et cetera, because you know what, like, I think there is one of the things I loved about sport and I'm sure you feel the same is like, when you're like, yeah, like I did that hard thing and I did it well, whatever that hard thing or that hard workout for you looks like when you know you can do that and like you have energy after your long run to go hang out with your family, your friends, you know, do projects, do the other things you enjoy outside of sport. Like that is so much more important and so much more awesome than like a number on the scale or like looking a certain way. So Mm-hmm. And like, I, I think all my clients who are listening are like, oh, I see why they're friends. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because I, I can relate to that as a practitioner, um, you know, just based off of what I see and who I talk to, but mm-hmm. I, I agree. It's a situation, right. Where you're like, oh my God, I fueled the heck out of that race. I did so well. I feel amazing. I had the best day ever. And then you get the race photos back and you're like, what the actual, like, I am not happy with that picture. I don't like what I look like. And, you know, I'll see people like kind of spiral just to use that very acute example. And that is, that is like, you know, don't let how you look or your appearance or a perception of your appearance via photo, like change the way you felt about how awesome you did at a race, because, um, you know, the fact is that you did it and the, how you look doing it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, (laughs) yeah, let's get on that soapbox, Holly. I'm here for it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. And like, if you're checking in with people's lab values along the way too, you can kind of tell them when they've crossed the line, like, okay, your body's not happy with us and sorry, but you know, we do need to focus on health and then performance. And, you know, a lot of the times restricting is not the answer. Um, so thank you for getting on the soapbox with me. Um, (laughs) yeah. Is there, I mean, is there anything like, like any other big takeaway you would tell people just to wrap this up on fueling for triathlons? Like any, any key advice you want to leave the, the people with before we tell them where to find you people. Oh man. I feel like I could do this forever. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I don't think there is really anything else. Um, in addition to what I said, but training with your fuel, um, you know, and I know you talk about this too, like your appetite is probably going to suck most of the time because you are training so much and it's about business. It's about, creating those habits and that foundation, finding the things that work for you. Like I'm a dietitian. I love food, but like when I was in heavy Ironman training, I would use the recovery drinks on the market, scratch, clean, etc. I like the scratch ones the best right now mm-hmm. because it was easy. You know, there's no excuses. You can take a scoop, put it in water. Don't come at me about the sugar because your body needs it you have so much sugar in there. So your muscles can get all those good carbs, replenish the glycogen real quick. Um, you know, finding those things. Cause like I deal with a lot of that nausea, those recovery drinks are the answer. An hour later, I'm ready for a meal. So it's about finding the meals that are easy for you, the snacks that are easy, getting them in a good rotation, getting that variety. It's about 
finding the small things that help you set you up for success um, with it. And like, I know it's a lot of time grocery delivery. Like if you can, and I'm not saying this to be a jerk, but like, if you can afford an $800 race fee on like your overload weeks, your big training weeks, I think you can afford grocery delivery or at least like pre-scheduled pickup. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Like make it convenient for yourself. So you actually do it. Exactly. It's, it's those little things. And, and like I said, you know, not getting too caught up in the, Oh my God, there's 25 grams of sugar in this, like looking at the big picture and knowing that these good habits of fueling during before, during, after, and throughout the day are going to add up over time to help you reach your goals while not breaking yourself. (laughs) Totally. And like, just, you know, the sports nutrition stuff too, where people look at, you know, like the, the scratch or they look at the goose or whatever it is. And they're like, there's so much added sugar in this. Can it really be good for me? Mm -hmm. And the added sugar, it's a simple carbohydrate. And those actually work better to restock your glycogen stores. The metaphor I use with clients is like, if you you know got out of a pool and you're soaking wet, using a simple carbohydrate would be like using a dry towel to dry you off. And using a complex carb would be like using a wet towel to dry you off. Like they're both going to dry you off, but one of them seems kind of dumb. Like one of them's going to work <laughs> One of them's going to work a lot better than the other. Um, so, you know, don't be afraid of those simple carbs. Like you are not the average sedentary population that a lot of the don't have sugar, you know, messages are coming at, you know, you are a different breed, especially if you're, you know, doing some of these longer things. So embrace it. Um, so love that one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Feel free to use, especially because you know about getting out of the pool soaking wet. Um, (laughs) so where can everyone find you, your practice and most importantly, chance? Oh yeah. Most importantly, chance. So you can find me, um, on the interwebs. You can find me on Instagram at Stevie Linlin. Um, like I said, it will be mostly chance, but I have a smattering of food and my adventures in there as well. Um, and you can find me on the internet at stevielinrd.com. Um, that is, you know, about my practice, how to work with me. Um, and I do want to let all of your listen listeners know this is exclusive, that this summer I will be starting a group coaching program specifically for triathletes. So um, if you want to learn more about that or stay up to date when that's going to open and roll out, um, definitely subscribe to my email list. That's where I'll be dripping some of those updates and you can find um, where to subscribe by um, going to my website and signing up for my my free guide there. And uh, yeah, but chance content everywhere. So swim, bike, and, or run over to that email list. If you're interested in group coaching, cause it's going to be amazing. Um, that'll be so fun for you. Well, all right. I'm excited about this question. Um, so listeners know first time guests, I always ask an end of the podcast question. Um, so basically you have crossed the finish line of let's say your 10 K swim and you had a great swim and you had a great day because you fueled properly, obviously. Um, so what song like would be playing to embody what you're feeling in that awesome moment? Oh yeah. There's so many good ones. Um, but I've been on a big Taylor Swift, um, reputation kick right now. So I think, are you ready for it? Would be, would be playing as I cross that finish line and some of my best friends who are going to be there are going to listen to this. So something tells me that they might have it bumping when I finish the swim. (laughs) That's amazing. Also, that's my favorite album by Taylor Swift. So Oh, I, new Taylor Swift dropped at midnight last night. <laughs> I know. 
I know. Oh my gosh. I, it's just, it comes out of nowhere and it makes your whole day. Right. Anyways, this is not a Taylor Swift podcast. (laughs) No, but it should be. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I really hope people go check you out, especially the triathletes listening, because you are a wisdom of information and you have a really cute dog. So if you like dogs, you should also go check her out, but thank you so much, Stevie. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Stevie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You are just awesome as a practitioner and as an athlete. And I really appreciate the wealth of knowledge and wisdom that you shared with everyone today. Hopefully people took away some things from this. And you guys, we as fellow dietitians who obviously have very similar outlooks when it comes to sports nutrition, um, when we say things like, you know, your weight doesn't matter, um, you know, in those types of statements, we're really just coming from a place <laughs> of helping hundreds of people with this and hearing it several times a day, how detrimental focusing on weight and body composition can be to a person's health um, when it comes to their physical health through looking at blood work, like with Inside Tracker, and also their mental health, and then by extension, their performance too. So we don't mean that like if you have a body composition goal or if you, you know, allow yourself to have body autonomy, that that's wrong. Um, but more so that we see the risk of that in athletes all day, every day, seven days a week, 365 days per year. Um, so that is just our personal and professional takeaways um, as a result of our experience and also what is found in research as well when it comes to body composition focus compared to performance focus, because Stevie and I both work as performance nutrition dietitians, um, like in sports performance and sports performance nutrition is very, very different. And in some ways totally opposes body composition, um, nutrition and people who do like body competitions, um, or body composition, like competitions, Um, are not necessarily going to have their most optimized performances, even if they, you know, quote unquote, look super fit compared to someone who is in peak Ironman performance. Um, You know, they may also look different compared to, you know, like a bodybuilder athlete, and they're going to eat totally different and have totally different sets of health problems that they need to make sure they focus on um, and are at risk for. So that's where we're coming from. But hopefully you guys really enjoyed uh, this episode of the show. Um, I would really appreciate a five-star rating and review on your podcast player of choice. If that is something you would like to do for me, it just helps the show get more exposure so that I can keep doing it and providing free information for you guys. Also, uh, my runner roadmap course is currently open for enrollment. So if you are a runner and you do want to learn more about fueling your body for optimum performance, um, feel free to go check that out. It is a totally um, all-inclusive resource for runners. Um, I've had a lot of different triathletes take the course as well and benefit from the information as well as it pertains to their training. However, if you are an Ironman and you're looking for specific nutrition help with your Ironman training, I would say the course would be helpful, but you might be better suited to work on something um, or work with someone in a capacity that is more specific to Ironman training, because like Stevie said, it is just a totally different separate animal because it is an ultra endurance event compared to some of the shorter distances that can be treated more like a marathon or a half marathon in terms of how long you're going to be out there for. So check out the link in the show notes to check out my runner roadmap course, if that's something you are interested in. And until next time, happy swimming, biking, and or running.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.